it's uh, A minor. know what we're eating but we have fellowship and take care of a little bit of church business and and just have a good time together it's a good time to come get acquainted if you don't feel like you know people in the body here it's a good way to get acquainted to just to come fellowship with the ladies and I will mention our conference I we just got our flyers in and if you would you please I'll hold up the big one we have some big ones if you hang out anywhere that might let you put up a, a flyer then take some and uh, spread the word around we will be doing uh, Facebook advertising too last year I think that was the most effective that we had we had women come from they come from Elsinore which we have some from Elsinore in our body but some came from Sykeston and different places in the area so that was a good way to get the message out okay we have actually some little postcards if you know somebody you would like to send a postcard it tells who the speakers are on the back uh, but there's a place for the stamp and the address and feel free to take some of those and then we have some of the smaller handouts but if you want to take some just pass around to people you work with or some of your friends and just invite them. We have a good time every year. It has a different flavor. Our um, theme this year is Count It All Joy. And we know that uh, some people think they come to the Lord and everything is roses and everything's just going to work out. It does work out, but not sometimes without some difficulties because we have an enemy uh, but the theme uh, counted all joy when we have the Lord we can get through whatever that the enemy brings we can stand and so uh, we've lived long enough we've had several battles in our life but God's got us through through it all so we want to invite the ladies and the men normally come on the evening services we wouldn't throw you out if you came during the day. Uh, we have a, a luncheon that's provided. We charge no fee, no sign-up fees or anything. We do take a free will offering to help defray expenses, but we don't want um, finances to be a problem for anybody that would want to come. So uh, we just invite anybody and everybody that would like to be here. Praise the Lord. Um, let's also, before we go any further, let's uh, let's take up our our tithe and offering. Get under your seat. Uh, they're going to come. There we go. Yeah, they're going to come and join us. I'm very excited about uh, about them coming and hanging out with us for a little while. Uh, he's a brilliant man. 
great theologian. I'm excited to have him come and to share uh, a message with you all. I get to hang out with him for the whole weekend, and so selfishly, I'm just really pumped about that, just to be able to hang out with him a little bit more. So uh, he and I have been busy grading papers this past week uh, because the class that I helped him TA for uh, just ended a week ago. So we've been busy reading a whole bunch of different papers from students. And so that's been a good time. And then his wonderful wife, Gail, she's, uh, they call her Mama Gail over in, uh, in, in their hometown uh, at their church. She's Mama Gail. So Mama Gail is going to join us too. And uh, she'll be able to, to meet you all as well. So I'm very excited. Make sure you bring somebody, invite them to come and, and join us for that. Our, uh, our month of June is going to be jam-packed with some amazing stuff going on. So I'm very excited about this. So uh, he called me uh, probably about six months ago and said, hey, I'm coming in town. Uh, I'm coming through your direction uh, on this date. Would you? And I said, well, of course, anytime you're coming through this area, you tell me. And then you're going to come over here and you're going to preach because that's what needs to happen. And so he was, uh, he was excited that we had some space for him to, uh, to come and hang out. So I'm very excited for it. Invite some people. It's going to be wonderful. And then, of course, right after that, we're going to do the, the women's conference. So uh, men, you guys are welcome to come and help. We're going to have some people being able to run some stuff in the back. We'll need some help with some cameras and some things like that, too. So you guys could absolutely serve um, the ladies that are, that are doing a bunch of, of great service and, uh, and ministering to one another. It's great to be able to work together as a body of Christ and to serve one another when things are going on. And so, uh, so in whatever capacity, if you need some help or if you would like to help with something, then, uh, then go ahead and holler and, and we'll, we'll stick you in a space. Uh, I'm, sure Sh- I'm sure Sherman would also like some help doing some stuff uh, as they prepare for the lunches and things like that too. So we can, uh, we can serve the ladies who very adequately and wonderfully serve us as well in different capacities. So let's do that. That's wonderful. Okay, and then I wanted to give a quick report too uh, on, on how my dad is doing. So if you want to throw up some of those pictures, you can see he's, uh, he's been ministering. This was at Isaac Gutierrez Church. Uh, he was able to be with them last Sunday morning, and, uh, and he's riding around. Uh, Isaac sent me a picture. I didn't put it up here either, because he, he either sends me pictures of them being at a service or him eating tacos. Those are the two pictures that I, two types of pictures that I get from him. And then Isaac sent me a picture the other day, too, of him and my dad sitting in the parking lot with some sunglasses on outside of a steakhouse. And so <laughs> Isaac was taking him over to go eat some steak. So they're having a great time over there as well. You can uh, scroll through a couple more of these if you want to. Thank you. Um, and so he's been able to minister out there. They've been having a, a wonderful time. He said he's seen numerous salvations. I think there was one night that they had like 23 salvations uh, in one of the services. And so uh, he said lots of people are getting touched. Uh, there's been some healings happen as well. And so we're, uh, we're pumped that he's been able to have a great time, but we're also excited that he's able to come back home and, uh, and share what all has been happening since he's been gone. This is one of the longest trips that he's taken uh, as far as just being away for about two and a half, three weeks. So uh, he's having a great time. He, he'll shoot me a message real quick, and then he's like, all right, I'm off to do something else. So he's been very, very busy as time has gone. So we'll go ahead and move into the, uh, to the message for today. We're going to kind of continue on, and I think this is going to be the tie-up for the, uh, the messages that I've been doing in the book of Jude. Jude is, is a very, very, very short book. It's only one chapter, and so you don't even see typically like a, a chapter head. It just starts with verses and goes all the way through. Um, the book of Jude is, is tiny, but it is very encouraging. Uh, this is an easy one to where you can tell people that you read through a book in like, 15 minutes if you're really sitting and stopping and, and taking through you can read it within five minutes very easily but um, but it's very short but it's wonderful to go through and so today's message is called built up on holy faith built up on holy faith 
So we're going to start in Jude chapter, or sorry, Jude verse 17. And we're going to continue on through verse 21. He says this, But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. This is a wonderful passage. We went through uh, Jude verse 17 through 19 last week and then jumped over into 1 Samuel 15 and talked a little bit about uh, about a character named Saul and how God rejected him as king because of the emphasis that he was making on pleasing people instead of obeying what God was asking him to do. And so I, I wanted to continue uh, just just in the next couple verses here from verse 20 to 21, and then we're going to continue actually in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So we're going to go from where we were reading in 15 and then move into 16 because I think that these correlate pretty well together. Uh, but it's interesting. In, again, in June 17, he says, remember that what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. And then he said, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Pa part of this, this whole entire section of, of the book of Jude deals with perseverance. A call to perseverance. And so part of this is that is that he's speaking, of course, to believers. Jude is writing specifically to people who believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. They believe that Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and then ascended up into heaven, and then sent his Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, hey, remember that there are going to be people who are scoffers, people who will make fun, and people who will diminish the things that we stand for. But this doesn't just mean people who are outside of belief. This is also people who are inside belief because these are people who divide you. Faith is a very interesting thing that we can behold now here while we're while we're alive because faith is not just something that you say that you have. I'll say that again. Faith is not something that you just say that you have. It's easy to say, "Yes, I have faith for something." does not mean you actually have faith for something. I can say I could dunk on a 10-foot rim. Does not mean I can dunk on a 10-foot rim. So faith is something that has to be put into action. It has to be something that is applied specifically in our lives. And so this call to perseverance is something that, that Jude is very specific on. It, it, earlier, if you remember the very first time that we started talking through the book of Jude, the, the title of my message was, I, I felt compelled. I was compelled. Jude actually pivoted what he was going to write about, which is super interesting because this was canonized. So this book, this letter that he wrote to the believers, it was not the original letter he was wanting to write to these people. But he felt compelled to change the tone of what he was talking about, to encourage people to persevere in their faith, to encourage people not to... Uh, not to fall susceptible to what's going on in their culture, not to fall susceptible to what's going on even within their church. This perseverance of the faith means that we have to put to action what we say that we actually believe. 
And there are people that are going to disagree with the way that we live our lives. Some of them even call themselves Christians. They'll make way for sin and they'll make way for other things because they feel like they have compassion. But in reality, they are trying to appease other people and their desires of the flesh. It's important for us to know the truth. In the book of John, John, John writes of a specific scene that happens with Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And he tells the Samaritan woman that, that the Father is spirit, that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The word spirit is also, if you look all throughout the book of John and all of his writings, it correlates to say this. He is the spirit of truth. God is the spirit of truth. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There are a lot of people today within and outside of the church that are seeking after one or the other and not both and. There are many people who are out in, 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 in exploring many new age practices and things like that. They, they call themselves spiritual, but they do not call themselves Christians. Like, oh, I'm very spiritual. I believe in the supernatural, but I don't believe that Jesus died. They're seeking after spiritualism. And there are other people who are even within the church that they are very truth-heavy. Even people outside the church in both, both camps, they are very truth-heavy. They're looking for truth to where they can practically walk out certain things. They're looking for a lot of practical applications. And practicality is very, very beneficial. I can tell you there's a lot of people in Pentecostalism that have lost sight of, of practical things. <laughs> they are extremely spiritual. It seems like uh, around every single corner, there's some kind of demon or something like that that's, that's around. You're like, oh, my gosh, can we talk about actually you just tying your shoes correctly? And that's why you're tripping because your shoelaces are untied. There's, there's not a little demon kicking your foot like that's not the case. OK. But then there's also people who completely deny the fact that there is a spiritual realm. Paul writes that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, rulers and, and darkness of this world. And so so. We have to be able to come to the place of knowing that God is, is the spirit of truth. And those who, wor who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. There is, there is a, a dual nature there that we have to be able to combine together so that we know that if we truly want to worship God, we have to do so in the full understanding that there is a spiritual realm and he is spirit. He is not human, and so the same desires that I have at times are not the same desires that God has for me. And so I have to overcome those things through the faith that I have in Jesus, knowing that he is also truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so J uh, Jude is reminding us, hey, there are some people that are going to divide us based on their ungodly desires. There are things that they're going to be seeking after that actually do not align with the heart of God. And so it's important for us to follow the spirit of truth. He said, these people who divide you, who follow their mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit, capital S spirit, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I love that he says, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. I think there's a lot of times that we say building ourselves up in our most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. 
And this is where we miss it at times. Because our only answer and our every answer is to just go to praying in tongues. That that's the only mechanism that we use. And he's saying, by building yourself, this, I mean, this is what the Bible says. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Building yourself in your, up in your most holy faith. Holiness is the standard that God has set before us. He gives us these commands in, from Scripture all throughout the word. If you want to know what holiness looks like, you read what Jesus says over and over and over again. Find out what he says of what it means to be holy. And then it also says, so, so when we walk out holiness, we have faith that the standard that he said is true. Even if I don't see an immediate, uh, even if I don't see any kind of Im immediate outcomes that looks like it's beneficial for me. Walking out holiness is something that, that progresses and it benefits as time goes. When you establish, establish habits of holiness, then your life will start to reflect the goodness of God in a way that you have never seen freedom before even in your life. And this is something that should be ongoing that we should be pursuing. I don't, I don't think that there's, a, uh, that there's a time that you just arrive at complete holiness. I think we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we have been sanctified and he is the one who gives us all the great gifts that we can that we can have on this earth to be able to minister to other people and to move in the ways that we need to. It is not me that is the healer, it is the Holy Spirit that is, that is using me as I go out and I obey the command to go and pray for the sick so that they can recover. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not the power of Zach. And so I believe that I have the fullness of what the Holy Spirit has for me because he lives inside of me. I lack nothing. However, it's my understanding of walking out his commands that I need to be able to facilitate and foster more and more. And this means that there will be some trial and error. That means that I have to be okay with asking questions and growing. Otherwise, if I don't, I will not grow, and I will feel as if I've arrived to a place that is only the first plateau in the midst of the actual mountain. You will stand there and be like, I'm a little higher than I was before. This is great. And then you stay there, not knowing that he's asking you to actually go further and to explore. And so he says, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and the combination and praying in the Holy Spirit. I, I think that a lot of times we only equate this to speaking in tongues, and I think that this is because there have been a lot of different denominations that have really pushed down and rejected the gift of tongues. And I think it's, it's a great thing that we accent that. We say, hey, this is a great gift to have. But I don't think that that right there is meaning to just pray in tongues. Otherwise, it would have said tongues, like it does in the book of Acts, like it does in 1 Corinthians. It, it mentions the specific word tongues. I believe praying in the Holy Spirit is a unification and an awareness of the Holy Spirit's voice in the midst of your day. Being able to decipher and to, and to listen to his voice and then to obey his voice through faith. This is the coupling that happens that's very beneficial. Now, you can also do this by, by praying in tongues. I'm not saying that it's not at all. I think tongues is a great gift that we, that we have been gifted by the Holy Spirit, and that's something that we can walk out. It's, it's great. 
But that is not the end-all, be-all. And I think that there's been a lot of people within Pentecostalism or charis, uh, the charismatic movement that have over, um, overemphasized the gift to the point to where they've shamed other people for possibly not even having something like that. And so I think it's important for us to be able to walk out um, our salvation in a, in, a, in a way to know that the whole intensive purpose of Jesus coming down was so that we could have relationship with him. And that relationship comes by actually dialoguing with somebody else. Otherwise, you don't have a relationship with somebody. If I never talk to Danielle, then we don't have a good relationship. That's a horrible relationship, and she will not be very excited with me. But to have a great relationship, you have to be able to communicate over and over and over again. You have to get to know one another, get to know the preferences and the desires of those people. And so in order to have a great relationship, you have to have that back and forth. And so that means that if I'm walking out in faith, what am I walking out? What, what type of faith do I have? What actions am I supposed to apply? I have to be able to hear his voice and know when to apply what he says in Scripture. There were a few times where Paul, whenever he was standing in front of people at the Sanhedrin and when he was being grilled by, the, by different people for things that he did by representing the gospel, there were times where he was very vocal and he let everybody know what was going on. Stephen was actually in front of people and he was delivering the gospel from what happened all the way from, from Adam and Eve all the way through to when Jesus came, died, and rose. And then you see that Jesus at other times whenever he was in front of a group of people being accused for something that he never did, he stood there in silence. Jesus said, I only do what my father's doing. I only do what I see my father doing. And so we have to have a relationship with God to know whether we are supposed to open our mouths or whether we're supposed to keep our mouth shut in certain times. We have to be able to listen to his, his leading whenever your emotions start to get awry and you start to get frustrated with somebody else and you start to get angry or maybe you're just extremely disappointed with somebody and then you're, you're full of grief and, and, and these things to where you can, you can feel those emotions but you can also listen to his voice to know how to deal with those emotions in that time. How to deal with that person. It's his, it's his still small voice that we need to be able to understand and to, to pull in. And so... Jude is reminding us that there are people who will try to divide you because they will try to, to squander that voice by appealing to your flesh. There will be some people within, within Christianity who they have been hurt by different people. They have been hurt by different churches maybe. And they will allow their hurt to project onto you and your situation, trying to divide you because their flesh is walking in bitterness. There will also be people who are, who are just not believers. If they're not believers, then, then they're, they're going to do the things that their flesh desires. That, uh, that should not be something that, that shocks us, that people who do not believe in Jesus are not trying to act like Jesus. They're not trying to abide by, by what the Bible is asking them to and requiring us to do. And so we have to be aware of our intentions that whenever we do go out into different places, because we're supposed to interact with people, the, the greatest thing that we've been tasked with, our greatest calling, our only calling, specifically, is to go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission is every single one of our callings. You want to know what your calling is in life? The Great Commission. That's your calling. And it could vary in the different types of arenas. It could be uh, service in, inside the church, but 
even if you do work within the, church, the four church walls, you're still supposed to be out and speaking the gospel to those who are outside. If you work a job in a, in a factory, then your responsibility is to represent the kingdom there and to make disciples while you're there. If you work in a school, that is, that is your domain that you're supposed to spread the gospel. That doesn't mean that you stand up on all the desks and you start preaching a sermon every single time you see people. There are ways that you can evangelize people that is effective, not just in words, but also in deed, which is your faith acting out and not fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the things that the people are doing around you. If you work in a shop, wonderful. That's going to be a place to where you can, you can really witness to people in a very practical way. And when you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be something different about you that people recognize. And you may not even know it. You, you, you may not even be aware of that, that impact that you're having on people. But it's very, very important that we first foster that relationship with Holy Spirit. Because he's the one that we're looking to please and not people. And so he says this. He says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait. 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 You guys are waiting for me to get to the next thing instead of repeating this again. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait. And one of the hardest things for us to do is to wait. You go through, especially if you're at a drive-thru, my goodness, you're like, this is called fast food, and this is more like slow food. This is slow service, and I don't like this. It's hard for us to wait. They ask you to pull up, in the, you're like, I'm at the window right now. You can just give me my food now? Ask me to pull up and wait, and then you got to walk the food out here? Come on. This is, I mean, this is ridiculous. Get it together, fast food. Hadn't been the same since COVID, dang it. No, um, it's, it's it keep yourselves in God's love as you wait. The waiting is the hardest thing to do. Having patience for, for something to happen when you know what is supposed to happen, and sometimes you feel like you can make something happen a lot faster, it is very hard, very difficult. And especially in relationship, it's hard. When you know what you want that person to be doing and they're just not doing it, It's hard. It's real hard. I'm smiling at my wife because we deal with this all the time. More, more on my end than her end. She's waiting for me to, to get something right, and I just can't get it right yet. I promise I'm working. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to do that. But, but Jude lets us know that we're supposed to keep ourselves in God's love as we wait for Jesus to bring us into the position of eternal life. Now, we start eternal life right here, right now, but it's the waiting portion of being able to see his glory in his fullness. Keeping ourselves in the midst of what it means to, to be loved by God and then to love other people as God has loved us. It's difficult. Keep ourselves in that place. Don't allow others to pull you away from that. So last week we talked through 
this guy named Saul. He was the king. He was the first king of Israel. From the beginning of his story, you can see that he he was so concerned with the opinions of other people. He actually came from one of the smallest tribes in Israel. He was head and shoulders above other people, so he was recognized in that tribe. And Samuel, when he came to anoint him, Samuel and Saul were the two people in the midst of a line because they lined up a person from each and every one of the, the 12 tribes that they had. And Samuel and Saul were the only two people that knew that Saul was going to be the one anointed king out of all the people lined up. But when it came time for Samuel to come in front of Saul and to announce that he was king, he was nowhere to be found. He was hiding. He was concerned with what people thought about him and if he was even worthy enough to be the king when it was God who chose him specifically for that position. Then you go further on, and we see in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that Samuel came up to Saul and told him the word of the Lord is for them to, to rid themselves of all the Amalekites. They're supposed to wipe them from, from the place of, of their domain and, and completely rid them from the land that they were at. And they were supposed to leave, leave nothing, nothing there. They were supposed to just destroy it all. Don't take anything with you. Destroy it. But as Samuel was, uh, was hanging out the night before, he went to go see Saul. The Lord told Samuel that he was sad and he regretted <coughs> that he made Saul king because he disobeyed him. So Samuel came riding out to go meet Saul. Couldn't find him anywhere. They said, oh, he had already, he went and he was making a statue of himself to, to honor his great defeat and as Samuel was coming up to Gibeah, he noticed that there's a sound of sheep and a sound of cattle that are out here. They were not supposed to be, were not supposed to be kept. Those things were supposed to be destroyed as well. And then Saul said, oh, well, this was for sacrifice. You know, that, that's why you're here. They, they, we were just going to sacrifice to your God. That was going to be great. He said, your God, not our God. And then he said, oh, well, you know, when Samuel, start, Samuel started pressing Saul a little bit more, oh, you know, well, re really, these guys, they were just, they just wanted to bring these things up. It was their fault. You know, they, they, they did such a great job with their killing that I just, I just let them go ahead and take it. They just wanted to take them over there. That was, that was okay. All the sheep and the, and the cows and stuff, it's great. A whole cattle farm. It's wonderful. Oh, and also the king. The king is alive still. It's okay. I wanted to, you know, parade him around a little bit. You know, make that, make that okay. And Samuel looked at me and says, It is, the Lord doesn't delight in sacrifice over obedience. Samuel was, uh, Saul was very concerned with the opinions of people to the point to where he, he didn't want to tell them that they couldn't take anything back with them because this is what the Lord told them to do. He couldn't stand up for what was right and for what the Lord actually required. This wasn't even something that Saul heard the Lord say. This is something that, that was confirmed between him and Samuel as well. And then Saul set up a monument in his own honor. 
And then Samuel told him that rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like in the evil of idolatry. And because he has rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. And then Saul told him that he was afraid of the men, and so he gave in to them. Those who worship, God, God is the spirit of truth. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Saul was trying to do the spiritual thing and make up an excuse saying that he was, they were going to sacrifice these things to God. But, the, but he negated the truth. The truth was that they were supposed to get rid of all the things that were evil in that land, in that area. All the things that were owned and represented by those who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then they could worship by their own means, by what the Lord has, has provided them. And then at the very end, this is, this is so wild to me. At the very end of that, of that chapter, Saul was, was still not to the point of realizing what he had done. And he just wanted Samuel to come back with him so that his people can see Samuel worship in the same place as Saul. To give the appearance that God is still approving of Saul as king. He was still concerned with the ideas and the thoughts of men instead of being repentant in the eyes of the Lord. And so I want to move on to, chap to chapter 16. We'll start here in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. This is interesting. This is very interesting because right before this, we remember that Samuel was very, very adamant to Saul about what was right and what was wrong. When the Lord said to do something, you have to do it. Obedience is better than sacrifice, right? But then Samuel right here seems to be a little scared about what's going on. But here's the difference between him and Saul. What happened here is that Samuel voiced his concern and told God what he was feeling. I don't want us to miss this. Sa Samuel was scared. So he had feelings. He had, he had concerns with what was going to happen. He, he was... He was he was very precautious, knowing that Saul was kind of a loose cannon, would do some crazy stuff. He was like, okay, look, I, Saul's not going to be pumped that he is the reigning king, and I'm already over here, like, getting ready to anoint another dude as being the king. Like, this is, this is going to cause a lot of issues in this kingdom, and so I'm concerned with my life. But he didn't keep that to himself and just decide not to go because he was scared. He actually did something that I think that we need to do more is that whenever we have concerns, when we have fears, when we have things that we're, uh, that we're worried about, when we have questions, when we have desires, that we actually take it to God and we let him know that this is what we're feeling. This is what's going on inside right now. Like, I know you just said this, but this is like the immediate thought as soon as you said that I need to go do this. Like, I'm, I'm a little terrified. So Saul will want to, to kill me. And this is what happens. This is what I love about this story here, too. He says this, then, then the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. 
you are to anoint for me the one that I indi indicate. So Samuel didn't internalize his fear and try to put on a brave face and just go about his day acting like nothing happened. He voiced his concern to the Lord, told him what was going on, and said, hey, I'm, I'm terrified. And then the Lord said, okay, here's what we'll do. I have a plan. You're going to go and sacrifice. Uh, sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice, but when you're obeying the Lord to go sacrifice, there's a beautiful benefit that comes from the tail end of that. So then verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So this was an impressive dude. This was something that was, that was very, uh, like I said earlier, that was very well known about Saul. Saul stood head and shoulders above the men of Israel. He was a big dude compared to the other guys. He was a big guy. So whenever you went to battle and you thought, dude, this is my king, he's like the champion right now. Let's, I'm going to follow after this guy. He's, he's for sure going to lead us into victory. There's something visible about his appearance that gave you the feeling this was going to happen. So I'm sure that when Eliab came up, Samuel was like, dude, this is another guy right here. Lord, you just keep, you keep picking these guys that are just, just bohemians. These guys are massive. This is awesome. Like, hey, this is WWE. They're walking down the center aisle. Here we go. They're getting ready to go smack down on somebody. This is great. People's elbow. Let's go. If you don't watch wrestling, it's okay. I forgive you. Um, and so, and so Eliab came down. Surely this is the Lord's anointed that stands here before the Lord. But then the Lord said to Samuel, uh, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Saul was very concerned with the outward appearance in front of people. Very concerned with how people thought of what people thought of him, of his image around others. I mean, so much so to the point to where he allowed people to disobey the, the direct command of the Lord, which was his sole responsibility to lead the people of Israel by the commands of the Lord. If you, if you go back in my uh, Bible customs class that, that we're in, some of my, my people over there, what up, class? Um, uh, we were studying last week about the importance of what... Uh, of what happens whenever someone was anointed to be king. Part of that process was that they were anointed and then their decree was that they're supposed to keep a copy of the law with them at all times. They're supposed to read it every day to know what the Lord said. Th and they were supposed to, they were supposed to have a copy of their own. They're supposed to do it themselves, have that there with them. They were supposed to have a copy from, the, from a, Lev a Levite priest and then they were supposed to have one that they stamp as an approval for themselves. That's really crazy. That's really valuable. So they were supposed to know and go through it every single day. Know it back and front, front and back, top to bottom, so that they know how to follow the ways of the Lord. 
They knew exactly what the Lord's commands were so that whenever they were able to go into battle or when people were able to approach them in their courts, they could correctly define what needed to happen based off of the word that the Lord had delivered to them. They were able to know what God did all throughout Israel's history as well. They were able to know what actually happened with Adam and Eve that caused them to fall out of grace with the Lord. They were able to see the importance of hearing God's voice and then following after his commands. They could see the power and the might of the God that they were supposed to serve. But whenever we allow the opinions of people to override what it is that the Lord is asking us to do, and when their voices are louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit's, then it is very hard to actually obey. It's very hard to walk out in purity what you need to do because your intention is now to please people instead of to please God. In the long run, even though there will be people who will reject and who will not be okay with the decisions that you make, as you follow God, you will see lives transformed. And the first one starts with yours. And so he says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus, in everything he did, one of my favorite passages right now is Matthew chapter 5, the, the, the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. And everything that Jesus talks about in there says, you have heard it say that you're not supposed to murder, but if you have hate in your heart towards somebody, then you have, it, you've already committed that, that sin in your heart. It has been said that you're not supposed to commit adultery, but if you look at another person with lustful desire, then you have committed adultery in your heart. Come on, he goes to the heart. And so Jesus accents what has been said here in 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel 16. The Lord does not look at the outer appearance. He looks at the heart. Because from the heart are your actions and intentions. They start to come out. The things that you do are first birthed in your heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had uh, Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered him. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. 
One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior, and he speaks well, and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with, the son, with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. I don't know if it messes you up like it messed me up the first time I read that an evil spirit from God was sent. Y'all notice that? Does that mess you up too? We serve a good God. We do. He was also the one that sent that spirit to him. Whenever we are in rebellion and we reject God in the way that happens there, there's an access that, that, that happens that we've opened ourselves up to the, to the consequence of rebellion. And that consequence is that we now listen to other spirits. When you're not obeying God, you're obeying other than God, right? That's, that's like really easy. When you're not obeying God, you're obeying something else, someone else. And it is the voice of the accuser. Anything that is anti-God is pro-accuser. And the accuser, you can call him the Satan, you can call him the devil. It is other than God, and it is not to be glorified. And so God was the one that sent that spirit. As Saul continued all throughout his days, I mean, you can, you look back and forth. He does not stop pining for other people's approval. His entire life, his entire life. He tries to kill David on multiple instances because, <laughs> because when David killed Goliath, people were singing Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. He was mad that he looked like he didn't kill as many people as David did. His continual focus was on other people's voices and not on the voice of God. When David committed some of the dumbest and most atrocious things in the Old Testament that a king could do outside of idolatry, his response to killing somebody, to first, well, to first sleeping with someone else's wife and then killing the husband, was, God, you can take anything from me. Just do not take your presence from me. I have messed up, and I, I made a mess of these, these things. But please, l let us have a restored relationship. His first place when he realized the error of his ways was to go straight to God, which is why Jesus was called son of David and not son of Saul, not so son of Solomon, not son of Jehu, not, I mean, you, you can go down the line, not son of Josiah. I mean, Josiah was, a, was an awesome king. He was a little bitty dude, seven years old, took over the kingdom of Israel and completely flipped it on its head, knowing that after he read the book of Deuteronomy, he said, 
we're in a bunch of idolatry right now. We need to take down all these idols that are all over the place. We need to get rid of all these things that are bad, and we need to pursue after the things that are holy and righteous. Seven years old, completely transformed a kingdom. That's sweet. Jesus could have been Jesus, son of Josiah, right? He was son of David. He was called son of David. David was a man after, pursuant after God's heart. And that was the bearing definition of why we see that he is so well known. I mean, the entire book of Psalms is coded and covered with David's cries. Not just happy-go-lucky, this is an amazing day, praise the Lord. The Psalms, it's actually filled more with laments than they are with, with happy, peppy Psalms. David was, was, was so intentional about going to the heart of God and saying, I am terrified. I'm, I'm wondering what's happening because I'm, I'm, I'm concerned with, what's, with, with the condition of my kingdom. People are running after me. Saul is chasing me. It seems like every nation is against me. It seems like these things are happening. God, what's going on? Crying out. But just like we saw from Samuel, he inquired of God what was happening and still chose to serve him in the midst of the junk, in the midst of circumstance, in the midst of trials. And circling back around to Jude, this is why Jude is telling us that we need to be people of perseverance. We cannot be driven and tossed by the opinions of man and, and the opinions of other people to the point where it divides us away from the true intention of what it means to serve God. And that's just not people in, 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 in that's not just nominal Christians. That's people who are also seeking after positions of leadership. If we are jockeying after the opinions of people, then it's going to be people that we end up pleasing ultimately, and then we end up moving away from the intentional desires of God for his people, for the community, and for the next generations. We have to be secure enough to stand up for what it is the truth is saying, but then spiritually minded enough to know that, it, that God is spirit, and he has to speak to us. I cannot just go and purchase a... Uh, how to church manual and just do church that way just off a of manual says there has to be an intentionality of of us being able to go to the lord and saying lord what are you desiring and requiring of me my family my household what are you requi requiring of me in my in my job what are you asking me to do in my relationships how am i supposed to impact my community How can I influence those who are around me to actually follow after Jesus? We have to be intentional about asking him these questions. God is the spirit of truth. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We have to be aligned in that. We see the differences in Saul and David. There's a really, really, really good book. If anybody likes to read, it's called The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. My goodness. It talks about the differences and the relationship between three different kings, the uh, uh, three specific kings from Israel. First one is Saul. Talked about him last week in the biblical week. 
First one is Saul. The second one is David. And then the third one is Absalom. David's son who tried to overthrow the kingdom and usurp the kingdom from David. It talks about these three kings and the relationship of what happens. These are three different generations. How Saul didn't do a good job of passing a torch. He didn't do a good job of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do a good job of, of seeking after what the Lord wanted. David pursued after the Lord and did some great things, but then he made his own mistakes. And then Absalom was seeking so much after position that he decided to undercut every single thing that was happening. And end up getting himself killed in the process because he was looking at a position and desiring a position over desiring honoring God. God is spirit. He is the spirit of truth. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God told Samuel that people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's why when David played the lyre, there was something that happened when Saul was being tormented. The relationship that David had with God meant that when he played or did anything, because it wasn't just in playing music. Sometimes we over-glorify music because of the way that it moves us in different ways. It's a great tool that, we, that we're able to use whenever we gather with one another to get our hearts aligned and to, to center our focus on, on why we're actually gathering. It's the only time that we can lift up our voices with the same melodies and be able to declare things. It's a beautiful thing that we get to utilize. It's a beautiful gift that God has given us to have music around. But it wasn't just in playing music that David was able to experience and encounter the presence of God. David encountered the presence of God in battle. He encountered the presence of God when he was strategically looking at how to do certain things. The voice of the Lord dictated and gave him the plans for the temple the dwelling place that God wanted to have whenever he passed the torch to Solomon. The favor of the Lord was on David and it wasn't because he just decided to say, I'm endowing favor upon you. It was in the shepherd field that, that David piqued the interest of the Lord as he sought after his presence. I'll end with this. There's, there's, some, there's some interesting things that, that was written in, I think, I believe it was the Mishnah um, that recorded. There were certain parts of, of, um, of time when David was in the shepherd fields that you can actually set the, the lyre or like the harp. You can actually set it in the trees. And, uh, and as the wind would move, there would be certain things that you can attach that actually cause. It sounded like a pad, essentially, is what it brought it out to. So it was really calming, almost like 
you would have uh, like chimes. They would also have like chimes that everybody has outdoor chimes or whatever, like in the backyard or front yard. So when the wind blows, it causes beautiful melodies. Well, he would do that also with a lyre and a harp. He would string up certain things to be able to pull that in. And he would read through scripture. He would read through and read through. And then he would also, this was also a part of the um, practices that the school of the prophets, if you look all throughout the Old Testament, there's different places in scripture where it mentions the school of the prophets came into this. And, and these students over here were doing that, that, uh, that they would practice sitting around and they would read scripture and they would play and they would just sing out what scripture was saying. So this is a common practice that they would have to memorize scripture because music is a great tool to memorize words. Anybody ever learn the ABCs? Do you, do you just say the ABCs in your head without singing the song? I don't know about you, but I don't. <laughs> I have not once done the ABCs without singing the song in my head. <laughs> um, and so these are things that you start to see that, that using music like that is a great tool to be able to memorize things. And so they used music as a tool to memorize scripture, memorize what God was saying. And so David would do this, and he would practice this in the shepherd field, as he would have times, I mean, the sheep are sitting there brazen and chilling and stuff, and so he's sitting underneath the tree, able to go and do that. And so his intentionality of knowing scripture and memorizing what the word says and praying and meditating on what it meant for scripture to happen gave birth to a relationship that drew him out from a place of of being forgotten by his father whenever he brought out, brought out all of his sons to be declared king. None of the guys that Jesse brought out were the king. They had to go get David from the field because he was working. Took him from a place of obscurity and placed him into a place of, of influence and, and power. So it's not power that we need to seek after. It's not position we need to seek after. It's the heart of God. Knowing what he says, knowing what his word asks of us so that we can actually live out in holiness. We can practice holy faith, right? That's what Jude was asking us to do, to persevere and to move and to practice, to walk out holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. If we can walk out in holiness, the faith that has been set before us, faith is action. Uh, John Wimber says faith is spelled R-I-S-K. You cannot practice faith without risking something. And in those moments where you risk, you're killing your pride little by little. Because it's easy to do things that you feel secure in, but it's harder to do things that you do not feel so secure in. When you feel a little inkling to go and talk to somebody and to bring up something that's going on. When maybe you feel like, ah, I feel like the Lord wants me to go and pray for this person, but that's super weird. I don't know if I want to do that. I would listen to that voice and try. The worst thing that could happen, you ready for it? The worst thing that could happen is nothing. You just had an interaction with someone and, and let them know that, that you felt like God loved them enough to where you wanted to go and pray with them. That's the worst thing that could happen. That's a pretty good deal right there. I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty awesome. To be intentional enough to say, hey, I don't know what kind of day you're having, but I just want to let you know the Lord just put it on my heart for me to come over here and to, to tell you that he loves you. And I'd, I'd love to pray with you if, you if you'd be okay with that. You feel like maybe they're, they're, they're dealing with something in their body? Ask them about it. Hey, are, are, is your back hurting right now? I don't know why, but I feel like 
Like, maybe I need to pray for your back. Pray your knee. If it's not hurting, then guess what happens? Nothing. That's okay. You practice something. The Lord smiles at us being able to step out and practice hearing his voice. We have to be able to do that more and more. Because if we can't hear his voice, then we can't know his heart. And that needs to be the most valuable thing to us. To persevere in faith and to not fall susceptible and be divided by other people's desires of the flesh, pulling on your possible desires because you don't feel like they're being fulfilled because you don't have a relationship with God. It's easy to be divided in those times. But if you're seeking after his voice, you can recognize it and you practice that. Then in the times where it's gonna be the most tough, because the Bible is very specific, the count it all joy, the women's conference, James chapter one, verse two, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces endurance. So the Bible promises us, Peter, first Peter, he also t talks about that too, to consider joy when you encounter trials. We're going to go through things. It, we, it, there, there's no exception because you're a Christian that we're not going to go through things. We're going to go through stuff. But it's what we do in the middle of those circumstances, how we hear his voice, and if we can apply what he's asking us to do, that's going to be where value kicks in. That's where you end up not being like Saul because Saul was so dependent on Samuel's voice so that when Samuel was not around in the middle of the battle, whenever they were taking the sheep and they were taking those other things, he was like, whatever y'all want to do, I just, I don't want to make you guys mad. Because he wasn't listening to the Lord's voice himself. He was waiting for Samuel to tell him what the Lord was going to say. And every time, and I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to mention this again because it's so important. Every time, three different times, at the end of chapter 15, Saul said, so we can worship your God. Come with me so we can worship your God. This was pleasing to your God. He mentioned that it was Samuel's God and it was not Saul's God. Saul was within the nation of Israel. He was the king of the nation of Israel, but yet he could not call God his God. He called it Samuel's God because Samuel was the one that heard God's voice. Saul did not. You could be in church for your entire life and not know God. You know of him. So you end up trying to please other people the entire time that you're living, knowing that you're pleasing people in the church when you come here because you raise your hands a couple times. You may not say a cuss word whenever you're around everybody over here, but when you go home, you're cussing everybody out. You're mad at everybody. You're drinking all the time to the point of drunkenness every single, every single opportunity you have to point to. You're doing drugs or maybe you're looking at porn all day long. There are all kinds of things that you could be doing whenever you're at home that show that you're not close with God. There's a difference between being intentional and doing those things and struggling in the midst of it, seeking deliverance from those things. I'm not saying if you're, if you're looking with intentional desire to be rid of those things in your life and you're pursuing after those things, that if you're struggling with that, hey, let's go. Let's work with that. That's, that's workable. But when you're just putting on a face when you come in front of people here because you want to please everyone around you, making it look like you serve Jesus, but you're going home and you don't give a crap about anybody else because you're just pleasing yourself, that's where the issue lies. It's not your God. He is not your God. To know him is to love him. And to love him is to obey him. To obey him is to hear his voice. From start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, the entire 
intentional purpose of God is to be with his people. He just wants to be with you. And so to be with him, we have to listen to his voice. Jesus provided a beautiful opportunity for our bodies to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to church just to hear his voice. We don't have to travel to a temple to go do that. You don't need to go to a synagogue. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you can hear his voice. You can encounter him at all times. So I want to challenge us this morning as we close. You guys can stand. challenge us that if you feel like you have not been someone who has been intentional about listening to his voice or practicing to listen to his voice today needs to be the day that that starts if you've just been coming to church and you've just been chilling out and 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 hanging out and it feels great to be around people who are positive and happy and that's great. I, I love that you love coming here. But that will be the only benefit that you get out of coming here. When there's so much more, when you have a relationship. The joy that is in people who serve after Jesus should be something that you can attain for yourself as well. But that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing about gathering together is that when we do struggle with things, we can unburden ourselves by sharing with one another what's going on. And then we can, we can be so excited in the middle of the testimony. I know there are things that, that each and every one of us have gone through, some of us more recent than others, where you thought it was going to be the worst moment of your life. But in reality, as we pray with one another, as we encourage one another, as you feel that there's, that there's light at the end of that tunnel, you start to notice as time progresses, that God's grace and goodness will see you through to the end. Whether if it's the exact circumstance that you want it to or not, his goodness will see you through. So if you feel like you have not been that person and you would like prayer, I invite you to come forward at the end. Come forward and, and let's pray. Let's pray that you have the intention of your heart to seek after his voice, that you would have a desire for the scriptures that you would desire to read his word and, and know it so that you can know him in his voice, that you would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit so that you have a relationship with him as well, that we cast aside religious religiosity and we embrace relationship. And if you need, need prayer for healing or anything like that, I encourage you to come up as well. We'd love to pray with you and minister to you as well. Otherwise, I'm going to pray, and then we'll dismiss, and you guys can go and, and, uh, and start to eat all the delicious food. I kept you long enough. Your stomachs are probably rumbling. So, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity and ability to come together and to, and to really honor you, to worship your name and to give you praise, to give you glory. Lord, to be encouraged by one another, to share burdens with one another, to testify of, of your goodness, God, with one another. 
Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you that you are a holy God and you desire for us to follow in holiness as well. Be with us, not just today, but throughout the rest of the week. Lord, let us hear your voice and respond to your voice in obedience. Let us be excited to try and try again as we feel like we hear your voice and apply those things. Let us be people of risk and not, not be people of cowardice. We give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. You guys are dismissed. If you would like prayer, please come up. I'd love to pray with you this, this morning. Otherwise, go get you some food, eat with somebody, get to know some other people. We love y'all.